All right. Hey, good morning. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. My name is Matt Evans, one of the pastors on our team. And so whether you're in Hickson, Dalton, Calhoun, Chatsworth, or today, we get to be live in Ringgold. Welcome to Rockbridge Community Church. Thanks so much for sharing about an hour of your Sunday with us. If you're a Rockbridger, just want to remind you in two weeks or really a week and a half, our first Wednesday service is coming up. That's first Wednesday in December. I, I believe for our church, this is one of the most important services that we have because we pray together, we pray for one another, and we take the Lord's Supper together to remind us what our faith is founded upon, which is the death and resurrection of uh, Jesus Christ. So not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, first Wednesday, 12-6 at 6.30 p.m. at all five of our campuses. So we are in part number three of a series called God of the Underdogs, and we've been studying people in the Bible and this principle that God seems to use people that nobody else or the world doesn't think God would use. God seems to love the unlovable. He seems to use people that kind of have a reason they think they can't be used. And so we've been studying that and looking at that. And as a way of review, we've defined an underdog as this, someone who has a good excuse for low expectations. Like, because I've sinned so much, God can't use me. God can't love me because my past is too bad or, or because my chances are too slim or whatever the case may be. That's why God can't love me. God can't use me. God doesn't want anything to do with me. And if we're not careful, our underdog status becomes the, the defining identity of our lives. And it's, it's our, it's our go-to excuse. It's our go-to excuse to stay the same. It's our go-to excuse of why we can't take a step. It's our go-to excuse uh, of why we can't change or, or, or why we are the way we are. But the, the beautiful thing about like all of the Bible is God uses underdogs God take, takes people and doesn't go around their underdog status or doesn't go around their excuse, but rather he goes through it. And I think this is sort of why the whole premise of an underdog resonates with us because all of us have been or are or will be an underdog in some area, in some season, in some time period of our lives. And so that's kind of why we root for the underdog kind of naturally, kind of intuitively, because we kind of know what it feels like to where there's not much expected of us, or it's not really supposed to go in our favor, or we're not supposed to get, get through this, or we're not supposed to get the promotion, or we're not supposed to get the success or get, or get the victory. And, and so we all kind of resonate with the status of an underdog. So today we're going to look at one of these excuses that I've used and you probably have used and, and I'm tempted to use it almost every day of my life. And, and to sort of illustrate this, let's sort of kind of meet the story we're going to be in, in in our own story, our own life. So there's a spectrum here of certainty versus uncertainty. And if you can kind of just eyeball on the screen, and if you want to draw this on your notes, that's fine too. If you would say, hey, my life is trending toward certainty or my life or seasons of my life are trending toward uncertainty, where would you kind of find yourself on that spectrum? And, and, and the reason that's important is because we, by nature, do not like things to be uncertain. We do not like to know, uh, we do not like to be uncertain about tomorrow. We don't like to be uncertain about our future. We don't like to be uncertain about our health when we go to the doctor. We don't want our marriages to be uncertain. We don't want whether or not we have a date on Friday or a date for the prom to be uncertain, that we gravitate towards certainty, that this is where we want to live and we prefer not to be here when 
things are uncertain. And so because of that tendency, you and I will fight for certainty. And in that fight for certainty, that's when you want to take the steering wheel of your life. If you believe in God, you want to take it from God and you say, God, I'll drive now. Because you want certainty. This is why we want a lot of money, because money seems to equate to safety and comfort and happiness. And so we'll take the steering wheel of our finances and we'll drive it our own way. This is why some of you who are not yet Christians don't want to become a Christian because it feels uncertain to give control up to another, even if that other is God. This is why some of you, when we say things like, hey, live sent in your job or get on a plane and go to another country and bless people in the name of Jesus, you're like, whoa, 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 that feels too uncertain and there's a fear that rises up in your soul and so you gravitate back towards certainty, which is your zip code and, and, and your, your mother tongue or your language and, and so that, that just influences and affects the decisions we make day in and day out. And so if we're not careful though, because if we're honest, right, a lot of life is uncertain. A lot of life is just so uncertain. And there's not a lot of certainty because we all know. You know, we're all one text message, one phone call, one news flash from the economy changing, from somebody we love situation changing. We're one doctor's visit away from, oh my goodness. You know, there's just a lot of actual uncertainty that we see and perceive. And so this is somewhat, certainty is somewhat of a myth and an illusion, but because we gravitate and we want certainty so bad, we will use the excuse of uncertainty to stay where we are or to stay with the familiar or to stay safe or to stay comfortable. And, and we'll say things like, well, I'm just not sure how that's going to work out, so I'll just stay where I am. Or, or we'll just say things, well, I think my, the probability is too small and my chances are too slim, so I'm going to grab the steering wheel and I'm going to drive it back over to the land of certainty and the land of safety, or, and or the land of comfort, and, and the land where I don't have to take too many risks and to, not too much courage is required of me. And, and the challenge for us in this is this, that because most of life is navigated through periods of uncertainty, and God's will involves uncertainty, if we bank on this excuse and live into this excuse, we might miss God's best for us. We might miss God's will for us. We might miss God's purpose for us. And so that's the tension we want to learn how to navigate. And thankfully, there's a fantastic, one of my top five favorite stories in the Bible, examples of, of someone who navigated the uncertainty to live into God's purpose. And her name was Queen Esther. So if you have your Bibles, we're in the Old Testament. If you get to the Psalms, you've gone too far, or you can turn your Bible on and just scroll through and find Esther will be in chapter four. A little bit of a background on Esther. The Jewish people are in exile under the Persian Empire, and the Persian king has gotten rid of his wife and wants to have a royal beauty contest to determine who the next queen is. And Esther is this Jewish girl who wins the beauty contest who becomes the queen of Persia. Mordecai is her adopted fa or her father, or her, rather her uncle, who's adopted her because she didn't have parents, and he's sort of around in the capital checking in occasionally on Esther. Almost simultaneously, an evil guy named Haman, who's the prime minister to the king, 
issues an order or a decree for all the Jewish people in all of Persia to be exterminated, to be eliminated. This is genocide. This is reminiscent of what the Nazis tried to do during the Holocaust. We want to get rid of these people. And this is the diabolical plot of Satan to eliminate the Jewish race because who comes through the Jewish race? And that's Jesus who we are looking forward to celebrating his arrival this Christmas season. So we're going to look into this and see the uncertainty and certainty tension that Esther has to navigate. We're in, chapter, we're in chapter 4, verse 1, and we'll start reading together. When Mordecai learned all that had occurred, and that's Haman's evil plot, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went into the middle of the city and cried loudly and bitterly. There was great mourning among the Jewish people in every province where the king's command and edict came. They fasted, wept, and lamented, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. Esther's female servants and her eunuchs came and reported the news to her, and the queen was overcome with fear. She sent clothes for Mordecai to wear so he could take off his sackcloth, but he did not accept them. So here's the situation. We're not sure what's going to happen tomorrow. We're about to be exterminated. We're about to be eliminated. We're uncertain if we're ever going to, if we're going to have deliverance rise up or if there's going to be salvation. How are we going to get out of this? How is anything good going to come of this? And, and Esther stares into her uncle who she had all this respect and admiration for, and she's overcome with fear because fear is an emotion that rises up inside of us when something is uncertain, when, when something is unknown, when something involves mystery or tension or lacks resolution, we experience fear. And fear will cause you and I almost instinctively to do something to move or posture ourselves back into safety or security or comfort or certainty. So this is the dynamic and this is the tension. So Esther is trying to resolve this and figure out what's going on. So it says this. She, or so Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to her and dispatched him to Mordecai to learn what he was doing and why. So Hathak went to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him everything that had happened, as well as the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the Jews. So that, that's the situation, and that's the dynamic. And then Mordecai, though, realizes something. Mordecai realizes that perhaps God is actually working after all. And Mordecai sees a slim slither of hope in this great big position of uncertainty. So here's what he does. He gives a copy of the order that Haman had issued. He gives a copy. Yeah. He gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa ordering their destruction so that Hathak might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to approach the king implore his favor, and plead with him personally for her people. Hathak came and repeated Mordecai's response to Esther. So Mordecai realizes something. He realizes that maybe there's a possibility, and I'm going to give you a kind of a theological or biblical word, that maybe there's the possibility of providence. 
Providence is something maybe you and I know or call coincidence. Like I just happened to be at the right time and saw the right person. Uh, this just, just so happened that this happened and this happened and this happened and there was a domino effect and all these doors started opening, boom, 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 and that's how I got the job or that's how I met the girl or that's how I got into the college or that's how this happened. And that's sort of providence is that God is working behind seemingly random events throughout history in order to move history to where he is trying to take history. He uses our free will and our choices, even our stupid ones, to sort of navigate the ship to get to the port of call or the destination that he wants, where he wants everything to go and everything to be driven. And so Mordecai says, well, maybe, maybe, maybe there's a divine reason that this random Jewish girl won this beauty contest in all of Persia. Maybe there's a reason why she is positioned in the palace with great favor and intimacy with the king, that maybe she is there to intervene on behalf of the Jewish people and avert this disaster and avert this slaughter. Mordecai is banking on providence. The hand of God in the glove of history is another way you can we can explain that term. And actually, it's quite biblical. Let me go to Acts 17, 26. Acts 17, 26 says, From one man he has made every nationality or ethnic group to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries where they live. Now, here's what that means. Every single one of us, Esther included, every single one of us has a where and a when that's determined by or orchestrated by or providentially caused by God. Now, here's what that means. When you are in a position or a place of uncertainty, it's not uncertain to God. When you're in a position of uncertainty and your temptation and my temptation is to take the steering wheel of our life and steer it back to safety and security and the familiar and certainty, that might be the absolute worst thing you and I could do, that you have a where and you have a when. Now, this is when we want to become atheist, and this is where we want to be our own God because we're like, well, I don't like where I am. I don't like when I am. I don't like how things have been dealt for me here in 2017 heading into 2018. I'm not sure I like my zip code. I'm not sure I like my marriage. I'm not sure I like the uncertainty I sense or I feel in my circumstances. And this is the tension Esther feels and Mordecai feels and all the Jewish people feel, yet Mordecai can kind of see past the fog and see past the uncertainty and realize that every single one of us, according to God's providence, has a where and a when that we're to live into. And that where and that when feels uncertain to us, yet it has been determined by God. Now, how does Esther reply, respond to Mordecai's faith or Mordecai's sense of providence. Here's what she says. Verse 10, Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to tell Mordecai, well, all the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned, the death penalty. Only if the king extends the gold scepter Will that person live? So, so listen to what she says. It's so logical. She said, look, Mordecai, 
I can't do something as uncertain as going to approach the king because if I go approach the king, I might die. So Mordecai, I'm going to stay right where I am. Mordecai, it makes no sense for me to go over here where the outcome is so uncertain and so unknown and so unpredictable. That's not the law. That's not the way it works. And you and I, we use similar logic. Well, that's not the way my job works. That's not the way my, my friends work, my social circle works. That's not the way our culture works. So I need to stay in what is circumstantially or what is culturally safe and familiar and known and certain rather than drift into or walk into a place of uncertainty. And so we just stop or we grab the wheel and we turn back and say, no, God, this is where I've got to be. And, and it sounds and feels logical. And Esther even gives more logic. She says this, she goes, I have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days. So Mordecai, it makes no sense for me to go do something so unpredictable where my chances seem so slim and so uncertain. Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. So this is response A, and there is a response B. But before we get to that, let's look, let's see if we can get some insights from, from Esther because I'm not all that different than Esther. You're not all that way different than Esther. When God asks you to do something crazy, maybe with your finances, like give generously, or with your time, like give your time sacrificially, and when God asks you to go serve someone, or God asks you to think past yourself and think past the comfort of your lazy boy, that's when we get kind of logical. Oh, it doesn't make any sense. Oh, that's not the way we do it here. Oh, God, no, 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 that, that outcome is too uncertain and too unknown. But here's what we need to see from Esther. The first thing is this, that fear is a, is a natural response to uncertainty, yet fear threatens purpose. Fear threatens purpose. So let me explain. If one of our purposes as created dependent upon God for the air we just breathe, we're dependent for the salvation we need to save our souls from the wrath of God. We can't save ourselves. If we're created to walk in dependence upon God, that means there will always be an element where I am not in control. There will always be an element that to me feels uncertain that the only certainty is I'm walking with God. And so whenever you feel afraid of moving into the uncertainty of walking with God or following God or obeying God or moving with God or doing something out of your comfort zone, that fear can actually be a sign that you are actually hearing from God. See, a lot of us are like, no, God would never want me to be afraid. Well, he doesn't want you to be afraid, but that fear is a way that might be your flesh or your own natural instincts operating and speaking to you going against the voice of God, which is asking you to move out in purpose. So fear threatens purpose. So if you can identify that your fear is an ungodly, unholy fear, instead of allowing that ungodly and unholy fear to paralyze you, you can learn to hear the voice of God. Because there will always be uncertainty when you are following God. Uncertainty about circumstance uncertainty about outcome. And some of you need to write that down. Because if you are not in a place of uncertainty, circumstantially or situationally, you might not be with God. Read the scripture. 
Peter getting out of the boat to walk on water. Jesus leaving the, garden, leaving the garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done, going to the cross. Paul leaving the Jewish faith to become the primary, premier missionary church planter of the known world. It will always be there. The other insight we get is the Thanksgiving temptation, which is something we can reflect upon having just experienced Thanksgiving. Think about Esther for a minute. So much to be thankful for. I'm the Jewish girl that got picked out of all of these women to be the queen. I have, I'm in the palace. Things are good. Life is good. I have so much to be thankful for. And there's a temptation here that I have so many blessings to be thankful for. God would not want me to risk my blessings. Let me say this. God will ask you to risk your blessings in order for you to be a blessing to other people. God will ask you to risk or take your blessings and shift them into a place of uncertainty for the cause of blessing other people, for the cause of seeking his kingdom, for the cause of advancing the kingdom of God. And that's true of your time. That's true of your finances. That's true of your resources. That's true of whatever platform, whatever blessings you have. So there's this temptation, especially in America, where there's so many material blessings to say, God, I've got so much to be thankful for. And then you begin to let the blessings of God trump the purpose that God created you for. And it's like your purpose is to maintain your blessings instead of go and be a blessing. And that's where I think Esther was, and that was her temptation. But Mordecai sees through this, and Mordecai sees the deception in this, and Mordecai understands God's purpose and God's providence and how they work together. So here's his response to Esther in verse 13. He says this, Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, do not think that you will escape the fate of all Jews because you are in the king's palace. You're not safe there, Esther. If you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. Now, how does Mordecai know that the deliverance of the Jews will come? If not from Esther, it's going to come from somewhere because Mordecai trusts the promises of God. And in Genesis 12, God said to Abraham, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. The Jewish people are the bloodline or the genealogy that Jesus Christ enters the world to bless all the nations, all the ethnic groups, and all that nationalities. So Mordecai's I am not sure how God will save all the Jewish people, but I am confident that he will. So Mordecai understands the promises of God. And so he says, deliverance will come, but you and your father's house will be destroyed. But Mordecai also understands that God works through providence, through seeming accidental coincidences where God positions and ordains and places people for strategic purposes. So he says this, best line of the whole book, who knows? I'm not completely sure, Esther. I, I don't really know this, but perhaps, this is all uncertainty, but perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther, you are where you are and you are when you are for a providential purpose for God's promise to endure and God's promise to come true. Because if Haman's plot wins, there's no Jesus. There's no salvation. 
And I'm not sure how God's going to do it, Esther, but I'm pretty sure you are positioned in such a way that you could do something, that God could use you. Now, yeah, Esther, it's uncertain. I don't know how it's going to turn out. You might die. But this might be why you are placed where you're placed and when you're placed. And, and couldn't that be your story? Why you work where you work? Who you know, who you know. Couldn't that be why you're in that class on that team? Couldn't that be why you have a position for such a time as this? Some insights from Mordecai. Playing it safe has dangers too. Doesn't feel like it, does it? But playing it safe has dangers too. Grabbing the steering wheel, driving the car back to the certainty that you perceive also has some uncertainties and some dangers. And when you read this story, you need to be, and we need to be kind of challenged on something. God's purpose is not for you and I to reach a certain life expectancy. See, it seems like in America, it is all about reaching a certain life expectancy. Like the goal is just, let me just stay alive. That's God's will for my life. Just let me stay alive. I can't find that anywhere in the Bible where God just wants to keep people alive. God's goal seems to be more about making us live a life on purpose, for purpose. And so playing it safe, you might stay alive, but you might miss your purpose. And God created us for more than just consuming oxygen and taking up space. He created us for a win, such a time as this, and aware the position in which he's placed you. Secondly, another insight from Mordecai is God seems to have more than one way to accomplish his purpose. So when we say no to God, God's mission doesn't suffer. God's cause isn't threatened, but our purpose is. When, when you and I say, no, God, let someone else do it or not me or you can't use me, it's us that loses. It's us that misses the adventure of walking, of following God, which is what we're created to do. Third, this is kind of the life equation. This, this is like how to know you're really living and you're really alive. God's promise plus the perhaps of providence is where life is lived. This is where life is lived. See, we, we think that life is lived in certainty, in safety, and in security. But in reality, life with God, life is our core value of we are kingdom seekers. Kingdom life is lived with what God has promised to do, combined with the perhaps of providence, how God will accomplish what he's promised to do. That's where life is lived. That's where we're meant to be. That's why Peter, get out of the boat and walk on water. Paul, go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Jonah, go to the land of Nineveh. Abram, move to a land I will show you. Esther, go into the king's royal court and approach him for such a time as this. 
And so here, here's a test to know if you're really following God. Where are you trusting a promise and walking into the perhaps of providence to see if God might use you? Where? This is life. Living to a certain age, but missing this, God created you for more. And that's the adventure of following him. So Esther, here's Mordecai and issues back this response. Verse 15, Esther sent this reply, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me, pray for me, plead for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, day or night. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. But for three days, we're going to pray. For three days, we're going to fast. After that, I will go to the king, even if it's against the law. If I perish, I perish. In other words, me staying alive is not the purpose, is not the goal. Me walking faithfully with God for such a time as this is my goal, is my ambition. So Mordecai went and did everything that Esther had ordered him to do. So three lessons for us in our lives, because everybody here today, you've got a where and you've got a when. You are where you are and you are when you are, when you are for such a time as this. Is it just to stay alive, to stay safe, to stay comfortable, to stay with what you know you can control and what you're certain of? Or is it maybe for you to walk in the path of providence in the direction of the promises and the hopes and the truths and the wisdom of God so God could use you, an underdog, for such a time as this? So the first lesson is this. Uncertainty is certain. I encourage you to embrace it. Uncertainty is certain. There's always an even if. There's always a who knows perhaps. There's always, a, I'm not sure how this is going to work out, but I'm going to trust God. And this is the whole point, okay? The whole point is this. Uncertainty does something to you and I. Uncertainty causes humility to go up. Uncertainty in what you can see and you can understand causes your dependence in God to go up. And here, listen to me. When your humility and your dependence goes up, that immediately makes you blessable and usable by God. Humility and dependence are the two factors that make you blessable and usable by God. So God has ordained you and I to live in times of uncertainty so that it forces us into greater places of humility and greater places of dependence so God can use us. This is why Esther goes into prayer mode. Previously, her first response, she was in control mode. She was, I'll take the steering wheel and I'm going to stay right where I am because it's nice in the comfort of the palace. But because she embraces uncertainty, she goes into prayer mode, which says, okay, I'm God's humble servant. If I perish, I perish. Pray for me. Let God's will be done. I'm in dependence mode. That makes her usable and blessable. So embrace uncertainty. Everybody that's walked with God walks with him through circumstances of uncertainty. Number two, when you face the choice, choose uncertain but serving over certain but selfish. Your marriage may be in an uncertain period of time. 
And when you're uncertain, you will want to naturally be pulled to selfishness and to be pulled to what you know. Resist it and go to serving mode. Any period of uncertainty, move to serve. Move to serve. Esther, move to serve. Your natural, fleshly, not of God reaction is to move here. Resist it and move here. Lastly, number three. What is certain is God. Our peace is that God is certain. The only thing Mordecai knew is that God would deliver the Jews. That's all he knew. He didn't know how, but God's the author of how, not me. So what is supposed to be certain in our life is who God is, not how God will or what God might do. So our peace is that God is certain. And this is the beautiful thing. Go back to what we asked in the beginning. In your own life, on this certain versus uncertain spectrum. Whereas, hey, I think most, I'm more here or I'm more here. Here's what God does. He wants to eliminate all uncertainty about who he is. He wants to eliminate all uncertainty about his power and his love for you. He wants to eliminate all of that. And so that we are so certain that God is good, that God is for us, that God is the God of the underdog, that we will walk with him into places and times and seasons of uncertainty because we are so rested, anchored in the fact that God is certain. So some of you today, here's what, I, I cannot change the fact that you are in a period of high uncertainty. But here's what I know. In periods of high uncertainty, that is when the certainty of God shines the brightest and is an anchor for our souls. And my hope and my prayer for us, Rockbridge, is that we will always embrace the uncertainty to know more the certainty of God's truth and God's grace and God's love, and that none of us would miss the joy, the thrill, and the adventure of walking with a God whose love and peace and strength is certain into periods of who knows, perhaps. But I don't want to miss why God put me in this place and in this time. Let's all pray together. Jesus, we thank you for showing us God's love on the cross. We thank you, God, that none of us have to guess about your power, your control, or your grace. But God, I know this. I know there's people here today who are being nudged by you in some direction that feels like a perhaps, and, and we're all saying, God, make it more clear. God, I, I want to know it's going to work. But God, may we resist those questions and instead go back and realize that you, God, are certain your presence is certain. Your plan is sure. And may we take a bold step. Or may we take a courageous step away from what is familiar and comfortable into perhaps a step of uncertainty. But we're trusting, God, that you will work and you will move. And you have created us to do more than just consume oxygen and take up space. God, I pray that this church would continue to be bold, would continue to take risks for your grace, for your glory to be made known to more and more people who need to know you. And God, may we all know the thrill and the joy of stepping with you, of walking with you, of knowing you as our God and our King and our Savior. And God, may we all have this faith of Mordecai that who knows, perhaps, 
You will use us in our positions for such a time as this. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.